0: Hi, I'm Sabrina Soto. I believe the best conversations are with friends who are really able to open themselves up and share their lives, both the good parts and the bad. You're going to be listening to some of those candid conversations and hopefully gaining some insight to help you redesign your life from the inside out. On this episode, I'm speaking with author Holly Whitaker. I found her through her blog, Hip Sobriety, but she also wrote this incredible book, Quit Like a Woman. Whether you're sober curious or you're figuring out how alcohol fits or maybe doesn't fit in your life during these really stressful times, this is such a great episode. What a great conversation I had with her. So I want to get started. So I've been reading your book, Quit Like a Woman, and it's been phenomenal. I actually thought it was quite... um, ironic that I was reading it on my Mexican vacation and (laughs) having margaritas and then reading this. And funny, when I would talk to people while I was on vacation, talking about what was in the book, which by the way, is phenomenal. Thank you. Everybody, like a lot of people got triggered. Yeah, I mean, no, but like fights and arguments and and there was no argument. It's really what you were talking about, especially about how advertising has really shifted smoking to the, al- you know, the alcohol industry, yeah. it's not your opinion.
1: Yeah. It's fact.
0: It's fact. <laughs> and people got annoyed. And then, you know, when I didn't drink, I also saw people getting triggered. Like, why aren't you drinking? Which yeah. also I want to talk about because what I didn't understand is if you go out to dinner with a friend of yours and she yeah. orders a sandwich and you would order a salad, are you upset?
1: No, but think about it when, have you ever gone vegetarian? Like when I was vegetarian and I would go to Thanksgiving and I'd be like, I'm going to make, you know, vegan, vegan gravy. Everyone would be like, I, I mean, people were not cool with it. I was apologizing for what I was eating and not going in and saying, you shouldn't eat meat, you know, but there was, on that level, a lot of resistance.
0: Haven't you ever, have you ever experienced that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, well, I wouldn't say I'm vegan. I'm pesc I'm non-dairy pescatarian. So I eat fish Got once it. in a but while, still. but still, but the point is, but that's different because then it kind of, um, it, it makes it inconvenient to them cause they have to make something else. But in a case that we're going to a restaurant and we're both ordering a drink and I yeah. to order a sparkling water, water and you order whatever the hell you do. Why does it matter what's
1: in our cup? Because people think about themselves. And I don't mean that like people are so selfish. I mean, we really have a hard time getting outside of what anybody else's behavior means for us and our own behavior. Yeah. Let me
0: take a few steps back of why I even got to know you and your blog. And it's amazing for anybody listening, Hip Sobriety and her book is called Quit Like a Woman. And she also has a Tempest Sobriety School too. So there was a lot to cover. But I read, so I Oh my God, this was years ago. I was reading the New York Post and they were talking about Annie Grace. And I just yeah. read it. And I lived in New York at the time, which h- drinking is a huge part of the culture there because yes. it's easy. You walk down the street there's or downstairs, there's a bar and let's go yeah. for a drink. And I realized that my drinking was just not getting out of hand because I didn't think anything of it. But when I read her book, it sort of opened my eyes. Yeah. So I took steps back from living in that way. And then when COVID hit, I'm telling you, Holly, like there were no rules, like whatever, mimosas, do it, you know, like white wine for lunch, let's do it. And then I saw my mental health, which was already deteriorating because of COVID get so much worse because of the drinking, worse because of the drinking. So I started to kind of delve back into that research. And I feel like the way that you Say this information, and you share your stories is so I don't I don't want to say humbling, but easy to digest, and also you open up your life, which I love on your blog. I yeah. also read your blog about toxic relationships.
1: <laughs> I wrote that when I was in a really bad relationship. <laughs>
0: oh, okay, not only did I read that like four times, I sent it to friends of mine who were in toxic relationships, and I watched that Reese Witherspoon movie because I was like, I want that, I want that sign,
1: <laughs> I want that.
0: Wait, sign. which one? Wild. Which one? You talked about how she was Oh
1: my God. I haven't read first of all, I haven't read that blog since in like probably three or four years. Okay, but well, um, tell me about it. Okay. Remind me about you it. Why saying, did I You said that <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were w- watching this movie and he she had written her ex husband's name on the sand one last time and then she oh. let him go and you were like, Well, how do yes. you do that? And then yes. you you were you did that bath and you d- yes. like, let it go and then you ended up meeting somebody great.
1: Yes. How do things Luca. work like that? Oh, are you still with him? <laughs> no. I mean, he ended up meeting me in Rome like a year later, I think. And then um, getting back to his ex-girlfriend on the way to our trip. So, That's okay. um so, Yeah. <laughs> he was still better than the guy before. Um, but yeah, I do remember that.
0: Yes. So thank yeah. you for that. And my girlfriends, a lot of them thank you for that too. So
1: <laughs> thank you for being so vulnerable because we've
0: all been in those relationships that you can't
1: you can't get out of. you
0: can't get Ugh. out of them.
1: yeah, it is I know. This strange I know.
0: cycle. Um, so I appreciate that. But back to to your book, Why, like, quitting like a woman. And I l- loved all of your stories about, like how, you know, you and the girls would get together when somebody like lost their job and you're drinking whiskey. and that's what you did. And I yeah. find that that's what we're we all have been coping with. COVID and I heard that alcohol, like, um, alcohol consumption has been up by 300%. Yeah. What, tell me what really sort of catapulted you to choose to just finally stop. Quit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it was, I mean, I write about this in my book and there was, there was all these tiny little pieces. And I think we at Tempest, so it's an organization that I run and we help people, you know, basically build, you know, uh, holistic paths to, uh, recovery, which can mean abstinence or not. Um, but we talk about the recovery journey and we talk about it in six steps and we basically say there's ether and ether is essentially where you have, there's problematic drinking going on. This doesn't necessarily have to qualify as alcohol use disorder. This is just problematic drinking. Um, and you, uh, the ether is essentially you have, you have a problem and you just don't know it. You're not in that space that can at all absorb, um, that something is wrong. And then you move from there into inkling. And that's just where you get a little hit of something. And that's like you reading a post article with Annie Grace and going, huh. You know, and I think it's just we we go through a process of awareness that allows us to start to see things. And I'm not just talking about alcohol. I'm talking about anything. We move typically from the dark into the light. And that process is really slow. And so for me, there was a period of time where I was just crawling through my life. And I could not actually identify that alcohol was a problem. It was that my life was a problem and it was, and my, my relationship with alcohol would change when my life changed. And then I think there was a bunch of different things that occurred over a period of 2010 and 2011. And and finally in 2012, where I just started to get these hits like, I, I went to a three day um, uh, meditation retreat at Esalen. I lived in San Francisco. So, this was a few hours away. And Esalen is this.
0: Um, I know. I've been wanting to go there.
1: Vortex. Yeah. It's a beautiful place in Big Sur that is uh, kind of like a hippie commune. I don't know. It's a healing place. I don't know how else to say it. There's yurts and healers. And I went there and I had three days. And in that, I was able to see how thick my depression was, how unhappy I was. And then I was going to change my life forever. And I drove back to San Francisco. And by Monday, I was just right back to where I was. And I, I think I kept on having these moments where I would see something and I'd be like, oh, right, there's another way. I don't have to live this way. But for me, the real, there was two things that were real final moments. One was, just having, I, I woke up one morning and I had, uh, I had been, I would binge drink a lot. And so I would go, I could, there were times I could quote unquote, take it or leave it. But, uh, you know, I, I could, I could, it, alcohol was not, I wasn't drinking like you see in the movies when you see alcoholism portrayed, I wasn't carrying around bottles in my, in my bag. I wasn't hiding bottles in my car. I wasn't, you know, waking up every morning and drinking, but when I was drinking, it was really, really problematic. And I had this one moment where I woke up in the morning and I, I woke up with alcohol in my hand and I woke up, um, it was before work. I, I had to lead a meeting in a short period of time. And I just was, I, I also was bulimic and I also, um, and I smoked cigarettes and I smoked pot. And a lot of times those four things would converge alcohol, pot, uh, food, uh, and then, uh, tobacco, and I would just ruin myself. And then I clean myself up, and I ruined myself, and I clean myself up. So I had this one moment where I was just so, I was, I was maybe 32 at the time, and I was just exhausted by it. And then I had this other moment where, once, you know, that morning, I actually just really cried for help. I actually named it and said, I can't go on living like this. And again, this wasn't like, I can't go on living with my alcoholism. It was just, I can't keep this up. I'm exhausted by myself and the life that I've built for myself. And then uh, I started, that allowed me to start looking a little deeper and questioning my relationship with alcohol and maybe putting a name to it. Like this has to change. And then I started to change my relationship with alcohol. I started reading a book, very similar to Annie Grace's book. Annie Grace's book is called This Naked Mind. Uh, uh, Some of her theories come from a book by Alan Carr, who was made famous for his ability to help people quit smoking with psychology and, um, and, and what he would call, you know, exposing you know, liminal thinking. And exposing the subconscious things that drive the decisions we make. So, I read this book by Alan Carr, which was called The Easy Way to Control Your Alcohol. Because, again, I wasn't interested in cutting out alcohol, I was interested in controlling it. Uh, But that book started to do a number on me. And I had this night out with one of my friends in San Francisco where I really didn't want to drink. And I wa I was watching the whole scene unfold. I was watching her buy the second drink. I was watching her pick up men that I didn't want to talk to. And then I watched her get progressively I, like sloppy drunk. And I wasn't in I wasn't in on it. I wasn't having fun with it. And then her behavior was really um it was just gross. I, and I my, read, it, it, I it read
0: went, like then then she got in the taxi and there was this huge fight and she we were running like sure. chasing her down the street.
1: Well, she just, I mean, it was just one of those moments where I was, you know, as I write this, I'm trying to like get her, I'm trying to like for her safety, get her into a cab. I'm handing the cab driver my credit card and saying I'll pay if she pukes because back then um, it was really hard to get uh, taxis in San Francisco. And I'm like managing this whole process. And she is, you know, she hates me for it. And I just felt too old for it. I just didn't want that life anymore I felt ridiculous and I felt exhausted by it and so there was a collection of things but those were two real poignant moments right uh, that's that shaped that decision but you were because a I bit, don't want this
0: you were a little bit younger so what about for the house moms who are homeschooling their kids right now overwhelmed because maybe they're not working their yeah. partner's not working and they don't have those crazy nights to sort of have be that one moment of awakening like what can you say to those people to to make them stop and think whether or not alcohol is playing a role in their life that isn't helping which by the way alcohol is never going to be helping anybody's life but that yeah. maybe is really more unhealthy than they think they are. it is
1: yeah, I think that everybody no matter what situation that you're in you get to have an epiphany and I think you get to have that awareness and it doesn't have to come crashing down like in something as cliche as a bar scene it really I mean more than often the way that drinking shows up is in the mundane or is in the the trope of our life and that's why it's so hard to peel our life away from it because if you are in your home all day and let's just say you're 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 this person you're raising kids Um, you're, you know, maybe you're juggling a job and juggling, you know, your family and all that's going on in the world right now. Um, and it's normalized to drink during the day. You can't see a way out of it. You cannot see how you're going to unwind at night without wine or how you're going to make it to five without that relief, because that's what alcohol does. It's, it's no matter really how much we're drinking, Um, if we, you know, aren't on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder all the way up to having severe alcohol use disorder, it's really habit forming. And I think it's really hard for, for people to really see when, when they have, when, when maybe it shows up in their life on a regular basis, how they're going to get out of it or even see how they're going to have happiness without it. Because a lot of times we tie up so much of our reward or our release or our relaxation or our connection or our sex or our partner connection time. So much of the, the more, um, what we, you know, quote unquote, rewarding parts of our lives are tied up with alcohol. So you really can't see a way out. And I think the thing that I always say to everybody is that you just allow yourself to, I mean, it's amazing what we can, what we can do subtly, we think we have to make these really huge shifts and like throw out all the bottles and then, you know, start meditating every night and doing you know a whole number of things and become this different person. But the truth is we just allow for our uh, we allow for things to 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 come in and, and we allow for ourselves to make subtle changes. And I really like this book called Atomic Habits. Have you ever read that? No, I've never read it. It's by James Clear. And he essentially talks about how, how all, you know, I think all of these little things that we do really add up to make big change. And so I think that when you even have this moment of being aware, when you even say, wow, that didn't feel good, or wow, I don't like this, or wow, maybe This isn't helping me, or maybe this is increasing my anxiety, or maybe this is increasing my depression, or I'm tired of this, or anything that you allow to enter the picture of the narrative to break it up. You're basically allowing yourself. To develop a new thread of thinking, you're allowing yourself to move into a different direction. And in that space, that's where we start to essentially change our direction, change our habit. And so these things, these, you know, I didn't quit drinking overnight. It was a buildup over years and a change and a shift that came over years. And so while maybe some of the more pointed or extreme things that I did to eliminate alcohol from my life might have happened in a condensed period of time, let's say over six months, really there was. I can look back over the course of my life and I can see how um, things that I did led me to drink more and how things that I did helped me inevitably decide that I don't want this in my life anymore. Yeah. And yeah, all you, that being said, it doesn't make it any, it's a big change when you do remove it, you know? Yeah. Because of what you just
0: said, everything, wedding, drinking, uh, raised drinking, Birthday, drinking, holidays, drinking. It's like everything's drinking. Date night, drinking, first date, drinking. You know, anniversary
1: drinking. Everything's about drinking. Everything. And it's so tied up in almost every emotion we use. We can use alcohol. And I I love – there's this book called um, Never Enough by Judith Grizzle, and she talks about addiction. But she specifically talks about alcohol, and she says in it, I've always found it, um, extremely curious that we, that we, um, use it a present to, uh, celebrate peak experiences. Right. Right. And so it's just, it's a very odd thing and we've thrown alcohol and we've tied it into almost every single thing that we do, which is problematic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and more so that people don't understand. I had a friend of mine not too long ago who drank we all went out and we had rented this house out and we you know, everybody was drinking the next morning. Um, they came into my room and they're like, I'm having a panic attack. I think I'm having mm. a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. I, need to, I don't know what I'm, what's happening. I'm like, it's called a hangover here. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. Like it's, you literally drank poison last night and you feel, what do you, what did you expect that you were going to feel like this morning? I
1: know. But you're right, I used to like, have panic attacks from hangovers. I am like, did, did you ever yes, have a, They panic? call it yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah.
0: And then you really think it has nothing to do with alcohol. No,
1: it's just a coincidence
0: that I feel this way. But last night I drank a bottle of wine. No, it's not a coincidence. (laughs) It's you're literally drinking a poison, a depressant. Of course, you're going to feel depressed. But that's what I don't understand about alcohol is that how do you why don't you just feel depressed immediately? I feel like li- less m- less people would drink it if you drink a shot. Well,
1: you do feel depressed pretty quickly. And so alcohol is a depressant. And this is also why I love Judith Gristle's work. So she talks about an A-B process. And so anything that we do, essentially, whatever we put into our body, our body is constantly trying to seek stasis, seek stasis so it's always going to counter it. So if you take um, coffee, I drink a ton of coffee. I am always tired. I crash hard after I have a shot of espresso and that's because my body is counteracting all of the adrenaline and all of the caffeine, um, all of the uppers that come from drinking a, a, a cup of coffee. And so when you drink alcohol, which is actually a depressant, um, your body may feel like, um, immediately it's, it's essentially like, you know, getting this relaxation response from it, but we go down, Pretty quickly, and so our body first essentially is fighting it by shooting us with um, adrenaline and cortisol. But then, you know, pretty quickly after, we are, um, you know, we're we're basically coming down off of that. And then we drink more alcohol, and our body's basically over time. The more alcohol that we drink, the slower we're going, the more you know turned off we get, um, and our body's doing all sorts. It's flooding us basically with anxiety because we're drinking a depressant. And so you get two effects. You get one, the effects from actually consuming what is a depressant, but then you're also dealing with what the body's doing to counteract the depressant in your system. And then, you know, as if that's not enough, then your body also is getting an enormous amount of sugar. And so your body's correcting for that, which is why the next day we're going through a hangover. We have that empty, shaky feeling because our blood sugar is completely off. Is why drinking in right. you know, the next day is typically something that can soothe it. Um, so it's it's basically one of the most fundamentally damaging things we can put into our body. Um, and we, you know, I, there's you're getting. I've heard people talk about it like as a Swiss Army knife because I I know you know i would get like okay if i drink that's my reward i'm going to to push through you know work at night um but also it's what i'm using to help me fall asleep and that's because there's a really complicated process our body goes through when we put a substance like that in it
0: when yes and you actually get worse sleep if you've been drinking than if you didn't have it like a drop of alcohol but somebody said something to me recently when i was talking about your book and they said well what about all those people in italy They drink every day and they live to be like a
1: hundred and something. It's like, what do you say Mm. to people like that? Well, I've spent a lot of time in Italy and the people in Italy do not drink like us. Typical Italians do not get drunk. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Western, like American influence uh, that where there there is more binge drinking. But for the most part, you don't have more than a glass of wine. Um, It's not the same thing. It's not, we're not hit over the head. America has a very different past with alcohol based on uh prohibition and then just based on you know life in america is quite different than life in italy meaning italians live with their families longer they're more indexed on family there's more community um there's more uh focus on leisure time there's just a very different culture so they're not as stressed out as we are um they're not as disconnected and lonely as we are and they also use alcohol um, far more ceremonially, uh, than, than we do. And so, um, they're living to, they, they do have high life expectancies. Italy, I think has the, the last time I talked, I think they were like the second in the world, but that's for other, from other factors. It's not because they drink a little bit of alcohol. I can't remember. I'm sure it's some European country. Um, <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> we're, we're down the list. Yeah, Sweden. Um, we're, it's not us. <laughs> nope, not us. Um,
0: yeah. That you also wrote on your blog, which I loved, like when you were in Italy and it could have been with your ex that it, like you were sitting across from them and you were having such a great time together. And he was like so seriously, like, what do you do for fun? And I'm sure yeah. you get that a lot.
1: Well, I don't anymore. Um, I mean, I guess it's also partly because I, I am quarantined by myself. So nobody <laughs> asks me anything anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got that a lot when I first quit drinking. And I think people – because, again, we index on it. It's in everything, right? And so we imagine you – when you – you know, when I was drinking, it, it was just so interesting because everything we did was so – focused on the drinking that we had to, my girlfriends and I had to think of ways that were not focused on alcohol in order to have fun. And this led us to doing things like going to a shooting range. Um, we were like, well, you can shoot, I guess you don't need to drink to shoot guns, well, but you probably shouldn't. You definitely shouldn't. (laughs) But we did go and drink afterward. And so we just can't imagine it because everything we do, alcohol is basically pulled into it. So alcohol, you know, makes weddings more fun. It makes first dates tolerable. You know, you can, I used to sneak alcohol into movie theaters before movie theaters started serving alcohol. And there's, you know, yoga is paired with alcohol. Now there's all these different ways that alcohol is introduced as like the fun maker. And so we think that the only thing that we do that actually produces fun as alcohol. But the truth is alcohol is often just paired with peak moments. And so what I had to do when I first quit drinking was really shift my mindset and almost think of this, like, how is this going to be an adventure? Oh my God, I'm going to go out. I'm going to stay out with my friends all night long and I'm going to try and dance in public and not be hammered doing it. And that like, there was just all of these first. me and so what I found from my you know my experiment with it right was that um I was drinking to make things that weren't fun more fun. Yes. Um, and that I just stopped doing that. So I just stopped going to weddings and I stopped because I hate weddings and I stopped going to big parties.
0: No, you can't just not go to weddings. You can't just say no. You can what
1: I can't not go (laughs) to weddings you can say no to everything. Well, okay. Like you probably, there's probably some weddings you have to go to still. I don't know. But I mean, we do get to make the rules that we live by, you yeah. know? And so I think I decided I really do not like big parties. I'm very, very socially anxious. and um, I do not like big groups of people. I like intimacy. And so I stopped doing things that I found taxing and that I used to only do because I would be able to drink through them. And yeah. then, for the things that I absolutely loved, I mean, the thing with alcohol is, especially if you're drinking it in, a, you know, in a in a habitual way. Let's just say that you have you get your hit from two glasses of wine at night, and so what ends up happening is that your reward system starts really indexing on that uh, glass of alcohol, meaning that your body is releasing dopamine um, in anticipation of the drinking. And what ends up happening is because alcohol and other drugs produce a larger release of dopamine, uh, your body starts to basically downgrade your ability to receive um, that, the, the effect that dopamine gives to you. Our mo- it's our motivation. So what ends up happening is over time, if we're continuously drinking, our reward system gets hijacked. And so we are expecting to, uh, we're expecting higher, we need higher doses of dopamine to actually feel motivation to do anything, which means that Uh, The pleasure that we receive from things that don't produce high dopamine hits uh, ends up being less important to us, and so it ends up happening when you remove alcohol is that you don't need that large. um, Your your basically your 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 reward system. (laughs) Excuse me, I just swallowed a bug. One second. Um, I have these little flies in my house. Anyway, um, are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, I eat like four bugs a day. Um, Oh,
0: that's. Protein.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. Um, I have a lot of house plants and I don't know, something's going on with them. Anyway, um, maybe one of your listeners can tell me what to do with my house flies. Um, yeah, please. But anyway, (laughs) so your dopamine system corrects itself, which means that um you start to get pleasure from the things that are meant to induce pleasure. And so I can get hyped about going and looking at a sense that I can get hyped about going into a church. And then the other piece of this too, is that dopamine is uh, here and now, meaning that we are, or I'm sorry, not a here and now, but it, like it basically indexes us on like a, a future reward. Um, what ends up happening when we're not like caught in that dopamine cycle is that we're able to actually experience the present moment a lot more. And so we just end up jo- enjoying things. So what I've found in the long answer to your question is that, Alcohol doesn't actually produce fun. Fun things produce fun. Um, and when you remove alcohol, what you end up doing is getting real pleasure out of the experiences that you're having. Your your body normalizes and you start to experience wonder and awe and and things that we are designed to experience. So let's say like
0: a listener's just listening to this podcast and starting to think, oh, maybe I should take a break. How long do you think it takes you to find the bliss that you find now in the normal everyday tasks.
1: So I'm going to be really careful with this. I think like I, my life isn't just always happy. I just actually feel my feelings and I actually experience life as it is. And I think that that in in of itself is a reward. So I don't want to be, there's a lot of misconception. I think there's When I first started talking about sobriety, everyone, it had a really bad rap and there were, you know, there were straight edge folks. There weren't a lot of, there weren't a ton of people that were just like, sobriety is a really great thing. And it was really seen as a consequence of somebody that drank too much and lost their drinking privilege or flawed humans. And so I was really adamant about presenting this picture of like the beautiful parts of sobriety. And I think in that, what we've done, um, not just me, but a lot of people that talk about it just end up really blowing up this like miracle picture of like how great life is. And so I think like life is still life. Um, but for me, I put a lot of intent. I, I, it really is our frame of mind. And our belief system counts for so much. If we go into something thinking this is going to be miserable, I'm going to fail at it or anything. That's a really, you know, negative small picture. That's what we end up reaping. I went into it like excited, um, for what I was going to experience without it in my life. And I also was always really adamant that, um, I want, like, I wanted this experience. I wanted to be free. I had given so much of my life to, to all the things I was supposed to do and it really got me nowhere. And I really, I really took advantage of this new like lens of life. And so for me, it was also just like, I don't know, waking up for the first time and seeing the real world. And so I have had a much harder time in the later years. I've been sober for, um, I started, uh, in October, 2012. So eight years ago, I started to try and quit drinking and I stopped for good in early 2013. So I'm seven, you know, and a half years sober. And I have found it is that all of that intention I brought into that early sobriety was, is still, is now something that I have to call upon and be really like I really have to do the work of um, of being here for my life and being here to experience that. So typically, people are gonna. I, I think it, it depends on the belief system that you bring into it, <laughs> the willingness that you bring into it. I think there's a lot of stuff that people generate, but anhedonia, which is the the state that I was talking about, is a real thing. And so I think you're gonna find like if you talk if you pull like a hundred people you know who are going through this really mindfully now remember this is not you know i i am you know going through medical detox I am going through rehab. I lost my, you know, like alcohol, we have to remember it's, I mean, it's, it's the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States because 3.3 million people a year worldwide, um, people often struggle with it. You know, it's not like opioids where there's a pretty fast downward spiral. Alcohol can be something that people manage and, you know, kill themselves with over a period of, you know decades. And so it's a really, really harmful substance. And so I, I always want to like keep that in mind too, in that, like, it's not just this, like, there's not just a diet trend or a gluten trend. Like it's, there's a real serious amount of recovery that comes into play for some of us, depending on where we start off and what we're bringing with us. But I think when you're talking about what like the average person can expect to feel when you're removing a depressant Um, and like, you're trying to regain like a, a a sense of awe and wonder for life that it, one, it really does depend on what you're using, what kind of, you know, mental state that you're and belief system that you are working with and, and, and the intention you're putting around what your process is. And that's why a tempest. And also in my book, it is really meant to be an empowering method versus a, now you go over here, sad method. You don't get to drink. You have to be, you know, recovery for the rest of your life. Um, but I also think that it's something that is I think I've never met somebody that has been through a process of recovery that hasn't felt a sense of awe and wonder, um, that I have known on, on my path. It's where I, I, I think I've witnessed some of the most pain and it's also where I've witnessed some of the most profound joy. Um, and, and it is, it is hands down where I have witnessed people experience the most profound joy and awe, um, in their lives. And and two of
0: my favorite authors, Gabby Bernstein, which I know you love, and yes. um, Brene Brown are both that they, they speak. Yeah, they're sober and they speak freely about how it's changed their yeah. life. Um, yeah. I, I know yeah. I, I'm going to wrap it up because I could talk to you for hours, by the way. Um, what yeah, are your true. daily practices?
1: So I am a meditator and I've been, um, I, I also disclaim this, I use Kundalini Yoga. I've also written recently just about the founder of Kundalini Yoga, um, Yogi Bhajan. And so I use that knowing full well uh, what some of the um, atrocities that have occurred within that community. Um, and But that still is my main practice. And so um, I typically am working on a 40-day uh, meditation right now. I'm doing something called the Sodar, Sodarshan Kriya, which is a breath uh, meditation. Um, so that's a daily practice. I am very, very big on, um, uh, especially in these times, um, in positive thinking and also in, in like writing the bigger story. And so that, that can come from a number of different sources. I, um, I might read Pama Chodron. Um, I may read Ram Dass. Um, currently I've been reading a lot of Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, oh, and I just recently slow reread clap. the, slow the clap. Secret. <laughs> Well, they're really good. I mean, I always read that and I'm just like, I always am thinking like sometimes the the, the super positive thinking stuff, like, like Wayne Dyer, or like Louise Hay, or like the, I, I'm reading The Secret right now. And I just, I'm as embarrassing as it is, I just read, watched this movie with Katie Holmes about The Secret. Oh my God. Um, I watched it too. It was so good. It was, it was so, so, good. so good. So, Holly, oh I don't know
0: God. if you know that the Secret completely changed my life. It's the only reason I'm back on television. Thirteen years ago, I watched it, and the next day, I found my HGTV job. So, I've been a huge, huge. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy the story, but um, Mike Dooley, who was on The Secret, has been on the podcast too, and he became <laughs> a friend of mine. I am. Such a huge hay house, like all of everybody who's an umbrella fan.
1: I know, I know they're just look, I find it to be, I forget how powerful what we intend and what we the energy we bring to things, what we intend for ourselves. I, and I think I've really in the last few years, especially because around 2016, I started to get really grossed out about the spiritual community's apathy um, for black lives, for uh, sexual assault, for the Me Too movement, I, for the election and the political climate. And I think I also I, I ended up moving more into this ballpark of like making sure first and before anything else I was acknowledging the reality and also not spiritually bypassing and what ended up happening is that I forgot how powerful it is to believe in bigger things and to believe in things we can't see. And it was actually one of my friends, um, who I was talking to recently, who is so steeped in the reality of, um, of, of, of social justice and, and, um, and, and work, uh, she works on something called recovery for the, or they work on uh, something called recovery for the revolution and, They were the ones that actually reminded me that um, the, the power of believing in magic and beautiful and big things. And so I really do have a strong practice of, and I always have, but even more so recently of writing my intentions, writing my gratitudes and believing in things that are bigger than I can even begin to imagine.
0: But I also have to thank you for, you're the one who introduced me to Tosha Silver because of your blog. And I also need to remind you how powerful your words are because- what you were just saying, like we forget how powerful intention is, but you wrote that blog years ago about that toxic relationship. Yes. I swear I did that bath. I did. I literally. I was like, this is my recipe for <laughs> frankincense. Human. Yes, I did yes. the frankincense, Epsom salt. I had like more Epsom salt than water in that bath, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I did it like a few days, and I swear uh, when I finally let go, like work started coming. Opportunities yes. started coming and and it's weird because uh, how does the how does that happen like how does the universe know when you finally let go of something that no longer serves you and it could be alcohol, it could be smoking, it could be drugs, it could be a person, it could be over shopping, it could be overworking, it could be social media it, whatever it is for you when you finally let go of something that is no longer serving you, you would be surprised how quickly the universe will work in your favor.
1: No, so things thank you, Vin. Yes. Uh, Tosha Silver's work was Outrageous Ugh. Openness. was like my Bible of 2014 and 15. And, and I, I need not to go back money? and read it again. Have you read It's Not Your Money? No. Oh, I've so read good. Change... I read Change Me Pray- Prayers, but I haven't, is that, a, that must be one of her new books. It's her new books
0: and it hasn't, it really, it talks about money, but it really has so much more to do than money. So I highly, <gasps> highly recommend I'm gonna it. I'm going to get
1: that. Yes. I'm going to get that. Yeah. I mean, her work is so profound and it does, it indexes on that same thing. And that's like, you can actually, by letting go of the past and letting go of like, I mean, everything is energy, right? And so when we move things out of the way and let go of things it allows all this good stuff that wants to show up for us in.
0: Amazing. Holly, thank you so much for anybody listening. Don't worry on my notes. I'm going to have Holly's Instagram, the quit like a woman book, a link to get it and about all about the uh, Tempest sobriety school. So you can have any way to get a hold of her. And if you have any tips on how to get rid of houseplant flies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Gosh.